Go ahead and grab your bulletin. I have several announcements I want to share with you this morning as we dive in. In the bulletin, you'll notice that there are two uh, classes that we are offering after the first of the year. One is a grief class led by Joyce Hummel. One is Financial Peace University led by the Haynes and the Hitchings. And we would love to have you plug in if you're interested in either of those excellent options. If you are, you can call the office and let us know, or you can grab an attendance card, write your name on it, and simply write either grief class or FPU. It is important that you put your name on the attendance card along with Financial Peace University, or we won't know who is signing up. Big day today and really all week related to the grab-and-go. If you are a volunteer helping with the grab-and-go next Saturday, first of all, I want to say thank you, and I want to let you know there's a very special lunch being prepared as we speak that's going to take place at noon today. Karen Rice is preparing the meal, and uh, we're going to have an opportunity to get together and talk through what next Saturday is going to be all about and the schedule. There's a couple changes from last year, so if you are helping with the grab-and-go, we would really appreciate it if you could make it to the Family Life Center at noon today. We'll feed you, we'll get you the information, we'll get you on your way. At 3 o'clock today, we need assistance from people as the donations will begin to arrive. We need people that can help unload. Um, Also, if you are bringing donations, you can begin bringing your donations at 3 o'clock today. Finally, how many of you remember the t-shirts, sweatshirts, polo shirts that um, we, we were able to get made, First Christian Church logo on them? We have several that are left, and we are selling them today in the foyer, and they are on a first-come, first-served basis, and all money that we raise today will go to the grab-and-go. Next Sunday is a huge day at FCC. The Bible School Christmas program is taking place at 9.30. A new twist this year is... After the Bible School Christmas program ends around 10.05, we are hosting an open house, and we're hoping that you will go and visit many of the Bible School classrooms. The cable building is going to be open, and tours are going to be available. There's going to be a lot of Christmas cookies available in the Family Life Center. We're even going to have carolers that are going to be traipsing through the building. Christmas Eve services are, of course, on Christmas Eve, Monday night, 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., two identical services 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., and then our final one-service Sunday of the year will take place on the last Sunday of the year, December 30. Ernie's going to be preaching that day, 9.30. You will not want to miss it. That's a lot of announcements, isn't it? All right, let's dive into God's Word. You're going to need to spend time today in your Bible. Uh, We're going to put a lot on the screen, but we're not going to be actually putting the Bible verses up on the screen. So I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab a pew Bible. You're going to need to spend time in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. If you're using the pew Bible, Matthew chapter 2 is on page 956, and Luke chapter 2 begins on page 1014. Last week, we started our first of five Christmas messages And last week was the week we gave you a marshmallow. So those of you who were here will probably never forget that. And the big idea was the great wait. How the Christmas story is really the story of God's call on his people to wait. And we talked about how difficult it is to wait. Many of you shared stories with me afterwards how you struggle to wait. And I struggle to wait. And when Jesus Christ, the baby, the infant was born... That night in Bethlehem so many years ago, the great wait was over. Well, today, I want to look at the various reactions to the birth of Jesus Christ. You would think 
That when the King of kings, when the Lord of lords comes to the earth, fully God, fully man, perfect in every way, you would think that CNN.com would explode. You would think that the first century world would never be the same. But we're going to discover this morning that the reactions to the greatest event in history probably were not what they should be. And there were three primary reactions in the first century world. And we see people today in 2012 in America, throughout our world, reacting in exactly the same way. And so I want to unfold for you the various reactions. And and the first reaction that we see in the first century world is this. Many in the first century world were threatened by the arrival of Jesus. That's the first reaction. They were threatened by the arrival of Jesus of Jesus. And no one was more threatened, and I'm going to call him exhibit number one, than King Herod himself. The reaction of King Herod was one of fear, was one of um, danger. He saw the arrival of Jesus as a danger to his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, those, uh, those verses in itself don't really seem very impressive, do they? The baby Jesus is born, magi, the wise men, maybe there were three, maybe there were more, we don't really know. They come from the east to worship him, they saw the star, but what you don't realize is that in those first two verses, you begin to see the the, the anger of King Herod, the danger of King Herod, this awful, terrible ruler who was really like none other. Think of the, the, the rulers in our contemporary world, say in the last 20 years, that have really defined evil. Just name one. Shout one out. Osama bin Laden. Saddam Hussein. If we went a little bit further back in time, we might say Adolf Hitler. The list would grow in many ways. King Herod was second to none compared to these awful leaders of our day. Let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. He was about 70 years old when the baby Jesus was born on that beautiful night in Bethlehem. He had reigned for uh, three and a half decades at this point in time. And when he came into power, the first thing that he did was he murdered the entire Sanhedrin. Now let me wrap your brain around that for just a moment. The 70 most impressive and powerful and prominent leaders of Judaism were murdered like that. King Herod wanted to start fresh. And he didn't send them into retirement. He sent them to the grave. King Herod put to death his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, no jokes there, guys, his wife, and three of his own children, all for fear that they might want to undermine his position. Have you heard of Caesar Augustus? He's also in the Christmas narrative. Caesar Augustus once sarcastically commented that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. King Herod, quite a guy. And he was threatened by the arrival of Jesus. 
He saw Jesus Christ as a danger to his kingdom. Jump down to verse 7 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me so that I may too may go and worship him. I think he was probably doing this. He had his fingers crossed behind his back. Yeah, he wants to go and worship him all right. But the really cool thing about the Christmas narrative is that even though the evil, powerful, maniacal Herod had a plan with the most evil of intentions, God's plan was greater. See, the Magi realized something's not right with this individual. Something's not right with his desire to go and worship. They knew King Herod. They'd heard of his legend. And so in verse 16, we see that when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, they'd went back a different route. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys of Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. See, there's a lesson in this for us, and here's the lesson. A human plot cannot derail a divine plan. That's our lesson. We're going to put that up on the screen. A human plot cannot derail a divine plan. And right now, in your world, in your life, you may say, there are plots all around me. Nothing's going like I want it to go. Nothing's unfolding like I hoped that it would in 2012. Let me just remind you, human plots cannot derail divine plans. And so the result of Herod's behavior, the result of this reaction of being threatened, of seeing Jesus as a danger, is a lunatic leader, a fugitive family. Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt and many toddler tragedies. See, and by the way, I, I love the nativity. Mary, thank you very much for putting this out here. But you see the, the nativity, the Christmas narrative, and, and it brings a tear to your eye. It just seems so perfect. It seems so beautiful. It seems like it'd make a great painting. What we forget is that there is much pain in the Christmas narrative. If you are a parent or a grandparent, of a child that is two years of age or younger. I just want you to raise your hand right now. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the funeral preparations? Can you imagine all that unfolded in the first century world because King Herod was threatened by Jesus, by his arrival? The first reaction to Jesus was one of being threatened. Well, there's a second reaction to Jesus in the first century world, and that's this. Some were complacent about the arrival of Jesus. They were complacent about the arrival of Jesus. And for exhibit number two, I give you the religious leaders in nearby Jerusalem. They were oblivious to the Son of God. They were oblivious 
to the Son of God. If you go back to Matthew chapter 2 and look at verse 4, it says, When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You're at home tomorrow morning. You're doing whatever you do on a Monday morning. Maybe you've got the coffee. Maybe you've got the paper. Maybe you're jamming the Christian music as you get ready for work or school or whatever it may be. And the news comes across the television screen. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come and he's only six miles away. He's in Kimmy. Or he's in Lane. Or he's in Maroa. What are you going to do? You know what we want to say we would do? We wouldn't stop, drop, and roll. We would stop, gather, and go. It didn't matter about the meeting that day. It didn't matter about the plans that we had. Jesus Christ, the newborn king, has arrived. But you know what I'm afraid of? Is that if we were really being honest, even those of us that go to church all the time, even those of us that make sure our Bible doesn't have dust accumulating on it, we get caught up in our lives. And some of us might be tempted to say, well, there's, there's visits to make today. There's meetings that I've got to keep today. There's a basketball game tonight. Maybe I'll go tomorrow. Maybe I'll go in a week. Maybe I'll wait until the, the fervor kind of settles, and then I'll go and see the Messiah. Do you know exactly how many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day made the very short six-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to investigate the, the, the possible birth of the Messiah? Zero. Not a single one. No one went to investigate. No one was curious and wanted to see, could it be true? Did I tell you last week that they had waited centuries for the Savior? They'd waited centuries for the Messiah. They had waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And now mean King Herod comes and says, these wise guys from the east have come and they think it's the time. And exactly zero went to investigate. See, I think our lesson from the religious leaders of the first century world is this. We need to be careful that we don't get so caught up in our ritual or in our routine that we miss the king. We need to be careful that we don't get so caught up in our lives, the rituals and the routines that define us, that we miss the newborn king. I, I'm busy. You're busy. A lot's happening in our lives. And if we're not careful, we might miss what's most important. See, the result of this complacency is this. Those who were most prepared to receive missed the greatest of gifts. There was no one more prepared to greet the Messiah, to greet the Savior, than the religious leaders of the first century world. 
My guess is they'd been students of the Hebrew Scriptures literally all of their lives. They knew the Isaiah prophecies that we shared last week. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. They knew all about Micah, that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. They were so prepared. But they were complacent. They were oblivious. And they missed the greatest of gifts. Well, some in the first century world were threatened by the birth of Jesus. Some in the first century world were complacent about the birth of Jesus. And yet a few in the first century world embraced the arrival of Jesus. Just a few. And I've got a couple of examples for you. Exhibit 3A, I will call it, are the shepherds and the magi. Ernie read for us today from Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Let me read a little bit more for you from this most powerful, powerful part of the, the Christmas narrative. It says, when the angels had left them, verse 15 of Luke 2, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The Magi, the Magi brought gifts and they worshipped Christ, the newborn king. Well, there are a couple other heroes of the Christmas narrative. I'm going to call these individuals Exhibit 3B, and they are senior saints. Senior saints Simeon and Anna. Now, if we look at our beautiful nativity today, I don't see Simeon. I don't see Anna. They don't make it into most nativities. Because if you think shepherds were obscure, and you think Mary and Joseph were just common people, Simeon and Anna, they almost get missed in the Christmas story. Let me read a little bit in Luke 2 about Simeon and Anna. Verse 25 of Luke 2, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus... To do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Jump down to verse 30. There was also a prophetess, Anna. She was very old. We don't know how old, but Luke's saying she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, get this, worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them, the parents and baby Jesus. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
See, these less known characters of the Christmas narrative, if I were to summarize the shepherds and the magi and Simeon and Anna and give you a word, it's the word worship. They worshiped Christ, the newborn king. And so our lesson from the shepherds and the magi and Simeon and Anna is this, this Christmas season, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I almost laugh when I say that, just to be honest with you, living in America in 2012. Because if I went to Walmart today, or I went to the mall today, and I made the proclamation, Christmas is all about Jesus, and I just looked around, it wouldn't seem like it's all about Jesus, would it? It seemed like it's kind of about Santa Claus, and Rudolph, and Frosty, and presents, and spending money that maybe we shouldn't spend To give people gifts that maybe they don't need. That's what Christmas is all about in America 2012. But when I read the Christmas narrative, when I read Matthew 2, when I read Luke chapter 2, I'm reminded it's all about Jesus. See, the result of this embracing of Jesus, hope and fulfillment. Hope and fulfillment. So what about 2012? What do we learn about our contemporary world today? As I was preparing this message and as I was reading about Herod and just how awful he was and the religious leaders of the day and just how how just kind of disconnected they were, just oblivious to everything that was happening, and then just a few very common very average people, shepherds and Simeon and Anna, and then outsiders like the Magi. They weren't even part of the inside club, and yet they embraced Jesus. I think of our world, and some today abhor the name Jesus. There are some today that do anything and everything they possibly can to bring negative light to Christianity. And you know some people like that, don't you? I do. We might call them the haters. They're really down on the faith. They're really down on Jesus. They're really down on Christianity. And they look for any and every reason to mock and to sneer. And I say, give me a break. What are you talking about? Others today simply ignore Jesus. They simply ignore him. Maybe they'll make an appearance in a church building sometime this December, maybe Christmas Eve. But when you get right down to it, they don't hate Jesus. They don't abhor him. He's just not a factor in their life. They just ignore him followers of Jesus, we are called to adore. We are called, like Simeon, to say, it's all about Jesus. We are called, like the shepherds, to tell anyone and everyone that will listen, Christmas is all about Jesus. And so this morning, I leave you with the most important question of the day for you, and only you can answer it. 
What is your reaction to Jesus this Christmas season? Abhor, ignore, or adore? Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. And thank you for the hope that that only Jesus brings. How awesome it would have been to have been present in the first century world. When in the most humble of circumstances, hope was realized. Help us in 2012 to never get so caught up in the things that we do, the busyness of our lives, the events that unfortunately at times define us, that we miss the greatest gift of all. Thank you for Jesus, for the difference that he makes. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. It is uh, invitation time, as it is every Sunday here at FCC. And if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, we invite you to come forward and give your life to Jesus Christ. I also invite you that if you're in need of prayer during this holiday season, this, this time of Christmas, Kent's in the back. He'd love to pray for you. I'm up front. I'd love to pray with you as we stand together and Jim leads us in our song of commitment.